I'd like to tell you the story of the Ellis Street houses. So in 1997, I think, or in the mid-90s, this parish underwent a future growth survey. Now this was after the Cold War, before September 11th. It was a period of incredible optimism in this country and in this church. And so this growth study saw, rightly, that Bellingham was going to increase in size significantly over the next 20 years. And this was before the sex abuse crisis was present on everybody's mind. The assumption was that if the city was going to grow by 30% or 40%, then the church also would grow by 30% or 40%. So we had to plan for that growth. And so a study was done, a plan was put into place, and we asked, what are the things we're going to need to grow over the next 20 or 30 years? Father Jim Lee started the study. He was reassigned before he could bring it to fruition. Father Jay DeFalco is the one who brought it to fruition. But a lot of things were proposed. There was a big capital campaign. Three phases happened. You know, phase one was repair. Phase two was um, kind of some initial growth. Phase three was some big growth. That's where we got the gathering space and the new part of the school and the new altar and the new campus and everything else. Well, phase three of that project was, if we plan to grow so much over the next 20, 30 years, we need to expand our campus. And so between 1998 and 2000, we bought six lots along Ellis Street. Now, those lots were purchased specifically to demolish the houses and build a parking lot. If you're going to have a lot of people, then you need a lot more parking. And so we bought them to demolish and build a parking lot, but they were a phase three goal. Once we did phase one, phase two, then we would think about expanding the campus with phase three. But the houses came up for sale, and we jumped the gun and decided to do the phase three buy anyway. And we never really had the plan to do the parking lot or build another building or anything like that. So we've had these houses for 20 years or so, and many of you will have read the letter I wrote two years ago about why we're selling the houses. But I bring this up because I want to highlight the way we use those houses for the 20 years that we had them. When we bought them, some of them were already renters, so they were already not in great condition. But because we bought them to demolish them, we never thought about investing in those houses. And so we would make the necessary repairs to be certified. If we needed a new furnace, we'd get a new furnace. If we had to do the roof, we'd do the roof. There was a couple mold projects we had to undergo, take the mold out. But it was always just the bare minimum to get by, just the bare minimum so that we could rent the house. And all of the revenue from those houses, all of the rental revenue, we used to support our parish budget, which was necessary because buying the houses put us into significant debt and the debt cost money, and so a lot of times the rent was just paying the debt that the houses caused. But even so, the rental income from those houses was not put back into the houses. It was pulled out of the houses and then put into the parish budget. Logical, many Catholic churches do this, it's not unheard of. But I highlight it because over those 20 years, the houses got worse and worse and worse. They were just not in great condition by the time we sold them because we were not investing in them. We were not taking the resources produced by these houses, which is to say the rental income, and reinvesting it in the houses. Now that we've sold the houses, you'll notice each of those houses looks 
ten times better than it did when we bought it, when we owned it, because the people who bought them are reinvesting in those houses. They're taking their resources and putting them toward construction projects and paint jobs and new bathrooms and all sorts of things. I tell you this because I think it's a very concrete and immediate encounter with an economic principle. This is not an anti-capitalism homily, but when we live in an economic system, we have to think, what are the detriments of that system? What are the things we have to be aware of? The temptation of our capitalistic system in the United States is the kind of exploitation that this parish used with those houses. It's to take a resource from a place and then pull that resource or pull that wealth to another place and not reinvest it. So this is the criticism against multinational corporations, for example. They go to a place, they create wealth through a business, but then that wealth goes away from the place to their shareholders or to their CEOs. Jeff Bezos is not rich because he only sold goods in Seattle, right? He's rich because he sells goods everywhere, and then those profits all go to him and the shareholders of Amazon. What the Lord is talking to us about today is the fact that resources are not intended to be pulled out, exploited, or stored. The Catholic word for this is the common good. It's the idea that everything that we have is given to us by God. Our life, our health, but also our skills, our talents, our businesses, our economic goods, our families. It's all a gift from God. And God gives those gifts to humanity equally for all, right? We did not create the earth. We take the earth and we cultivate it, as God told us to do in the Genesis account. But we didn't create the earth. The gifts of the earth are ours. And so, the idea of the common good is that the gifts that are given to us by God are intended for the sake of all humanity. Now, the church is a proponent of private property because we know that private management of these goods causes those goods to be managed better. Somehow, having ownership of a thing causes us to care about it in a way where a common kitchen in a dorm room, for example, just never gets cleaned because nobody feels ownership. They just pile up stuff all the time. Well, even with private property, the idea is you foster the goods, you steward the goods, but those goods are still common. It's a common good. It's for the intention of all humanity. Which brings us to our gospel. In the gospel, we have this parable of a man who has a bountiful harvest. He has had more grain this season than he's had ever before. And so he thinks to himself, what am I supposed to do with that grain? What am I, where am I supposed to put it? How am I supposed to deal with this harvest? What he does, what he decides, is he says, I'm going to build bigger barns. Like, this harvest is for me, and I am going to keep it. It's this possessive, exploitative mentality. Everything is for me, and I'm going to draw it all to myself. And so he builds the bigger barns, he puts the grain and other goods in these barns, and he possesses it for himself, and then God comes and says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. The Lord is telling us that possessive mentality is not going to work out. It doesn't work well. It's not the Christian way of seeing things. Instead, he could have used that grain for a whole lot of other things. He could have said, you know what? 
my neighbor's field failed this year. I'm going to make sure that this excess grain helps him out in this time of need. We're going to help each other. This gift was given to me by God and it's intended for the sake of others. He could have used it to feed the poor. He could have used it to take care of his children. He could have done a lot of things. But he said, I'm going to take it for myself and I'm going to keep it. Well, one of the things that we have to confront is that this whole world, our faith tells us, is passing away. Everything that we see and know and experience at the end of time will be gone. You can build all the monuments you want, all the businesses you want, all the intergenerational wealth that you want, but it's all going to go away. Everything that you do in this world, with an exception that we'll talk about, is going to go away. And that's what Kohelet is talking about in our first reading. When he says that the whole world is vanity, everything is vanity, what he's saying is that, yeah, everything is going to pass away. So what's the point of working this business or making this profit or creating this monument or experiencing this pleasure? It's all going to go away. None of it matters in the end. If you have this view from God's perspective, this eternal view, none of it matters. It's an incredibly nihilistic book of the Bible and something that we have to confront regularly. But the exception to that is humanity. If you think in terms of eternity, you have God and the angels, you can't change them. They are outside of time, they are unchanged. And then you have humanity. We are changeable eternity. We are the only eternal thing that can change. And so if we're going to focus on something that is not going to pass away, that at the end of time is going to remain and continue, and we want to feel like we're actually changing something for the better, we're actually working for the good and for the coming of the kingdom, then the only focus we should ever have is on the human person. Because the human person, again, is the only eternal entity that can change. The only thing that you are experiencing on the day-to-day life, excepting God, of course, who is a constant experience, but the only thing that you're experiencing that is eternal. Wealth is not eternal, pleasure is not eternal, honor is not eternal, power is not eternal, but humanity is. So, if we think in terms of the resources that we have, maybe they're financial, maybe they're talent resources, maybe they're time resources, whatever it is, if we think in terms of the resources that we have, the only thing that matters to use those resources for is a human being, is a human person. The only thing that is going to last is a human being. And so we have to think in terms of investing in humanity. And I want to be clear, this is not to say that one of Christ's two commandments doesn't matter. Loving God is the most healthful, helpful, fulfilling, and saving thing that a human being can do. Loving God is necessary for the flourishing of humanity. And so when I talk about investing in humanity, I mean and include in that the idea of preaching the gospel and bringing people to Jesus Christ and engaging in the worship of Almighty God. Because in doing so, our souls are affected and changed. That eternal soul that we're investing in needs that experience with God. And so an investment in humanity is not apart from the love of God. But if you want a rule of thumb for how to use your money and your time and your talents, 
That rule of thumb is invest in humanity. Do something that affects a human soul somehow. If you're a business owner, for example, you're making profits, hopefully, right? You're staying in the black. You might have a profit margin. You might actually be able to take something home and not just stay afloat. Well, like the man with the grain, what do we do with that excess? Ideally, we are reinvesting that in humanity. We're reinvesting it in our employees, or we're reinvesting it in our local community. We're making sure that the resources that we have are being used for an eternal purpose, the purpose of a human soul. Or maybe we find ourselves with some excess time. Maybe the kids have moved out of the house, or we've recently retired. Well, what do we do with that? Do we spend that time with someone who needs that time? Somebody who needs mentored or loved or cared for or supported? Do we give that time back to something that's going to matter eternally? Maybe we've been given a special talent. How do we use that talent? Is it just for our enrichment? Or is it for the enrichment of the community, of the people around us, of the people in front of us? Again, think about the houses. The fact that we use the rental revenue for so many years just to shore up a fragile parish budget, necessary, not necessarily sinful, but you can see the results of that. The house has just got worse and worse and worse. Apply that principle to humanity. If we exploit humanity, if we use them for their wealth, if we use them maybe for something a little less concrete, maybe their companionship or their goods, but not in a mutual way, not a friendship that we're giving back into, if we exploit humanity and pull from them what we need to pull from them, then the things that we get are temporary. The wealth we get will fall away, the pleasure we get will fall away, whatever else we get, it's going to fall away. It's temporary, it's vanity, it's chasing after the wind. But the corruption that we engender in their soul by using them and exploiting them, that corruption is eternal. But if we do the opposite, if we take the things that we have which are passing away and we invest them into something that is eternal, then the growth and the benefit becomes eternal. When time ends and we are placed in the new heavens and the new earth, what we might call heaven, when we're in heaven, we're not going to have a stack of cash. We're not going to have whatever fleeting pleasures we enjoyed on earth. We're going to have other human beings. Those human beings that we had a relationship with. Insofar as we've invested in those relationships, insofar as we have built people up, insofar as we have used the fleeting things of the world for their good, we will enjoy the benefits of that for eternity. We will have built up what is truly what matters to God, that treasure in heaven.